Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. Welcome back. Even though we had some technical difficulties, we're glad that you're here. Hope you can join us back up with um, Facebook Live. Um, We're thankful that God is powerful and he's always with us. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. And I'm your host, David Reed. As we start tonight, I'm going to ask if, um, Michael, if you could pray tonight to lead our... All right. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, for the many blessings you send to us. We thank you for your this gift of grace that you've given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that our listeners uh, understand and gain knowledge and wisdom through what we speak out of your word, rightly dividing your word. And again, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's live on Facebook. Amen. Yes, we are live on Facebook. Um, and tonight we are going to go over questions. We did have a couple more questions that came in this week. Um, next week we are going to cover, start covering the book of Ephesians. Following two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Yes. And next week, I think we're going to go through Romans. We're going to do the plan of salvation and answer some questions with that. So tonight we have some questions for David, and I'm going to come in. Um, what does Scripture mean when it talks about blindness of men? And in some Scripture, why does God blind the hearts of man, or even harden the hearts of men? Yeah, and, and uh, Pam, if you get a chance, take a look at Facebook. We might have a little difficulty there. You might just double check that. Okay. But uh, let's look at Second uh, Corinthians chapter four. And let's, we'll start in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's a reference to Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, Scripture does talk about Satan blinding the minds of them which believe not. And one of the things that happens, of course, is men have free will. You can choose what you believe or what you don't believe. No one can force you to do that. Um, they can put external pressure on you, but you, you decide in your inner person what you believe or what you don't believe. And when people reject the truth, the God of this world, Satan, blinds them. Look with me, if you would, at Proverbs 29, verse 1. There are scriptures in the Bible that talk about God hardening people. And so people sometimes wonder, and they say, well, that that means God's violating people's free will. He's forcing them to do something, and therefore, how can he hold people accountable if he is forcing them as to what they're doing? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, God doesn't force people to do things. They, they do things of their own free will. The scriptures that uh, 
Pam, I think the, the Facebook is on your personal account and not 14th Street is my guess as to what's going on. Um, yeah, I'm redoing it. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, but look at me at Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That's an interesting verse. What happens is, how is someone hardened? Well, they're hardened when they are reproved by God's word, but they reject it. You've seen this behavior before. There's sometimes, sometimes when people are rebuked, they accept it and they correct their behavior because they have a heart attitude of repentance. There's other times where people will hear a rebuke and they, they won't receive it. They will reject it. And what do they do? They harden themselves. And so in scripture, when, when God hardens people, what, what happens is he speaks his word to them, but they choose to reject it. And thus they harden themselves. The key takeaway for our purposes is this. God's word is, is true. And what all men need to do is they need to have hearts that are receptive towards God's word. And so when God's word tells us to do something or it corrects us about something, we need to accept that rather than be stubborn and harden in, in our air. As we become just callous to the word. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we we know people like that, That, and it seems like the older they get, the harder they get to it. It's a sad thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's very sad because the penalties is so severe. Indeed. Okay, I have a question here. Um, if water baptism was for the remission of sins, why was Jesus baptized? This is a question people wonder about. So let me just mm-hmm. re- re- restate it, right? If, if the purpose of water baptism was for the remission of sins, why was Jesus Christ water baptized? Because we know he was without sin. So that, you know, there's, there's some, something there that's difficult. So get with me, Mark chapter one, verse four. Mark one, four. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We're also going to look at Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 3 says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, notice, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Let's also look at Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we looked at Mark 1. We looked at Luke 3. We looked at Acts 2. Every single one of those verses all said that the purpose of water baptism was for the remission of sins. Under the gospel of the kingdom, That's not the gospel for today, but the gospel of the kingdom that was preached by John the Baptist, that was preached by the 12, water baptism was for the remission of sins. That's that's very clear. But Jesus Christ was water baptized, and we know that he was without sin. So what's going on? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. 
Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. The first step in understanding the answer to this question is to recognize that there is more than one baptism in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms, baptisms plural. In other words, Hebrews 6 verse 2 specifically tells us there is more than one baptism in the Bible. You're in Hebrews, get Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10, Hebrews 9, 10, which stood only in meats and drinks, notice this, and diverse washings. Diverse is different. It's more than one. It's not a single one. It's more than one. Diverse washings. Well, Hebrews 6, 2 said there were baptisms, plural. Hebrews 9 says there's diverse washings. There is more than one washing in the scriptures. There is more than one baptism in the scriptures. Get with me Luke chapter 3. So part of thinking about the issue of why was Jesus Christ baptized, given that baptism is for the remission of sins, we have to understand there are different baptisms in the Bible. So look with me at Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And this is an account of the Lord's baptism. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a, vase, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. In verse 21, the Lord is baptized. In verse 22, there's the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice verse 23. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So we're told immediately after the Lord's baptism that he began to be about 30 years of age. Mm -hmm. Now, when scripture tells you things, it never tells you things that are pointless, right? Everything has a purpose and everything is in a place for a reason. Turn with me to Numbers chapter four. I'm going to suggest to you, it's not a coincidence, it's not accidental that Luke 3.23, immediately after discussing the Lord's baptism, it tells us that he was about 30 years old. Numbers chapter 4, verse 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Take the sum of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi after their families by the house of their fathers. Notice verse 3. From 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years old, and all that enter into the host to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. What Numbers 4 tells us is the age at which someone could enter into the service in the tabernacle was 30 years of age from 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years. Get Exodus 29. 
Exodus chapter 29. Now, what we're doing here is we're understanding some things from the Old Testament law about how the priesthood worked. The reason that's relevant is when we look at the Lord's baptism in the book of of Luke, at that point in time, the Old Testament law was still in effect. Galatians 4.4 says that Jesus Christ was made of a woman, made under the law. Mm -hmm. Exodus 29, verse 1, and this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them, to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. In other words, Exodus 29 had a procedure that was followed when it was time to hallow someone to put them into the priest's office. Go down to verse 4. And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shalt wash them with water. Fascinating. So Mm -hmm. Numbers 4 said that you enter into the service of the tabernacle as a priest at age 30. Exodus 29 says one of the procedures that you need to go through is you need to be washed with water. So, putting those two passages together, what do we get? Well, when you put someone into the Levitical priesthood, you have to wash them with water, and you do that when they turn 30. Now, look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the capital A apostle and capital H high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So, who is the true and great high priest? Obviously, Jesus Christ. Get with me, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Well, we learned in Hebrews 3, verse 1, that the Lord was the great high priest. And if he was the great high priest, we know the process for putting him into the priesthood was he would need to be water baptized and That would occur when he was about 30 years old, not because he was a sinner, but because that was the Old Testament law. Did Jesus Christ ignore the Old Testament law, or did he fulfill the Old Testament law? Mm -hmm. He fulfilled it. And so, what he was doing in being water baptized is he was fulfilling the requirements of Exodus and Numbers in order to be placed into the priesthood. Now, if you look with me at Matthew 3, I think you'll see that. Matthew 3.13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. John says, why would I baptize you? You need to baptize me. Well, notice what the Lord says to him in verse 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. The reason Jesus Christ was water baptized was not to wash away his sins. It was not because he needed forgiveness of sins. He was fulfilling all righteousness, and he was complying with every single requirement that the Old Testament had put in place to put someone into the priesthood. That's what he was doing. He had to be water baptized so that he could be the perfect high priest for us under the Levitical law. 
So that's what's going on there. It wasn't him being baptized because he was a sinner or he needed forgiveness or anything like that. And the key to this is just to understand, sometimes people will look at the word baptism and they'll say, well, there's only one baptism throughout the Bible. Get with me Matthew 3, if you would. Matthew 3, verse 11. And I want to turn to this passage to make a point because this is something that's often misunderstood and it would be good to clarify it. Matthew 3, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. Well, that's a water baptism. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, in that one verse, there's three different baptisms. The first is a baptism with water, but then there's a different baptism with the Holy Ghost, and then there's a different baptism with fire. And then if you read verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. People sometimes think the baptism of fire is an emotional experience and you speak in tongues and so on. The baptism of fire is not anything that you want. That baptism of fire is unquenchable fire there. It's not a baptism that someone would want. So, just want to be clear on this. There are different baptisms in the Bible, and the Lord wasn't baptized because he needed remission of his sins. He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness so that he could be the uh, proper Levitical priest under the Old Testament. Yeah, fulfilling the law like the, like the scriptures say. Exactly. And we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul welcome back and we're so glad you are here tonight my i'm host um, pam lampton i'm your host uh, michael mix and I'm your host, David Reed. And we are answering questions tonight. Um, we just went over baptism, the different aspects of that. And our next question is going to be, uh, when speaking with someone about the Bible matters, about Bible matters, and especially the end time prophecy, including the pending rapture and or Christ coming back or second coming, how is it, how is there an easy way to distinguish between the trumps and the trump, trumpets that are spoken in Scripture? What, what this question uh, is asking about is when you read Paul's writings, he will speak of a trump. And when you read Revelation, it will speak of the seven trumpets. And sometimes what will happen is people will look at those and they'll say, well, it's the same thing. And that Trump is an archaic spelling of trumpet. And uh, if you go down that road, what happens is you, you place the Trump that Paul speaks of in prophecy. Now, just pause with me for a second and think through this. The dispensation of grace, the time period in which we live today, is a mystery. It was not revealed in time past. The time period in which we live being a mystery is a cessation, it's an interruption of the prophetic program. In other words, during the Lord's earthly ministry, when he said, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled, why haven't they been fulfilled? Well, they haven't been fulfilled because God put the prophecy program on hold. He interrupted it and inserted the dispensation of grace. Well, if you take the trumps that are mentioned in Paul, and you read those into prophecy, you're combining mystery and prophecy, two things that God made separate. So, here's what the the simplest way to understand this. The word trump does not mean the same thing as trumpet. Uh, The word trump, it can refer to a musical instrument, but what it means in scripture is it refers to the sounding of an instrument. In other words, you um, a trumpet, the device, the instrument, that is a different thing from a trump. You can produce multiple trumps, multiple soundings out of a trumpet. So, look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. 
for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The last trump there is the last sounding of a trumpet during the dispensation of grace, the time in which we live. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of our of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we know that 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 both talk about the rapture and the rapture occurs at the last trump. It's the last sounding of the trumpet during the dispensation of grace. The word trump is not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's only used in those two places and it is a reference to the rapture. Now compare that, contrast that with what we read in Revelation 8. So get with me Revelation chapter 8. Look with me at verse 6. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail, and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Verse 8, and the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And so when you read Revelation 8, there's multiple trumpets. There's seven trumpets that occur during Daniel's 70th week, but that is after the rapture. That's long after the body of Christ has already left the earth. So, the the key here is this. Whenever you read something in the Bible, it's important to pay careful attention to what it says. And so, when we read about the trumps in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, that's the sounding of a trumpet during the dispensation of grace. That's not the seven trumpets that occur years and years into the future after the rapture has occurred. Hmm. Yeah, very good. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, we have another question here. <clears throat> Is there a contradiction between free will and the doctrine of once saved, always saved? Put another way, can a true believer choose? So, get with me Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, some have the idea that if you really have free will, then you can choose not to be saved after you're saved. But let's let's study that out just for a minute. So Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that tells us that we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And we're saved through faith. In other words, what God is looking for from us is belief in the gospel. The gospel is simply Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. The moment you place your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross, God will save you in that instant. It's not a long process. doesn't take years and months of study. doesn't take a religious ceremony. It just takes you in your inner being trusting the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you on the cross. Now, Ephesians 1.13 tells us what happens next. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, 
you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you have a choice. You can believe it or you cannot. If you choose to believe it, you are then sealed by the Holy Spirit. It happens at that time. It's up to you whether or not you choose to believe it. But if you believe it, you are sealed. You don't have a choice about that. If you believe it, you will be sealed. That is a great comfort. Here's why. Mm -hmm. If your salvation was maintained by you always doing the right thing, I'm just going to be honest with you, you don't and I don't either. And if my salvation was based upon me being perfect every moment of every day, then I just wouldn't make it just being honest with you. Neither would anyone else. Our salvation is maintained because we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, have you ever known someone that was a believer but they departed into air. They abandoned the faith. They renounced it. That, that happens. People do that. It's not a good thing. It's not a wise thing, but it does happen. Second Timothy 2 verse 11 is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Notice verse 13. If we believe not, this is written to believers. Yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So what happens if you quit believing? Well, when you believed, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you were baptized into the body of Christ. By one spirit, you were baptized into the body. You were joined to Christ in that instant. Well, there's no part of Jesus Christ that is going to hell or the lake of fire. So therefore, if you notice what verse 13 says, if we believe not, so we lose our faith, let's say, yet he abideth faithful. He's more faithful than we are. He cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself because we've already been made part of him. Let me put it this way. I have three sons. I have a daughter. I can get mad at them. I can disown them. I can you know, do all kinds of things. I can't change the fact they're my sons. It's, it's, it's something that happened in the past. It is unalterable. Things in the past that occurred cannot be changed. There is no such thing as time machines. I know there are time machines in movies. There's not time machines in real life. You can't change the past. Well, what happened when you believe the gospel is you were sealed. You can't become unsealed. When you believed, you were placed into the body of Christ. You were joined to him. You can't undo that. So, my, my point is this, when people think that free will and once saved, always saved are inconsistent, they're not inconsistent. You have free will as to what you do in the moment, in the present, but you don't have free will to change what you did in the past. Let me give you an example. You cannot change what you ate for lunch yesterday. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a change of heart, you can change your mind about it. You can regret it. You can wish you hadn't eaten it. You can't change what you ate yesterday. Well, similarly, the moment you had faith in the gospel, you were eternally saved. You can change what you believe today. You can't change what you believed then. When you believe the gospel then, you were eternally saved, and you cannot lose your salvation. Now, just to be clear, you can't 
lose your salvation once you believe. But how you live, how you, the choices you make, they will affect your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So what happens is people sometimes hear the phrase, once saved, always saved. And they interpret that to mean, well, you're saying it doesn't matter what I do. I can do anything I want, and it won't make a difference. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you can't lose your salvation, but the choices you make will affect your work being evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 3 about building with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Is there a difference between gold and silver and precious stones? and wood, hay, and stubble, there's a big difference. <laughs> and there's a big difference in the reward. So it matters how you live. Yes, that's very important. And it's the um, consequences as well. It's it's your fellowship with God that actually is uh, the largest consequence. Yeah. Being, being saved is not a reason to live ungodly. Being saved is a reason to live godly. You've mm-hmm. been brought with a price. So use your bodies for God's glory. Yeah, for what he's done for you. Absolutely. And and the love that he's expressed to you. Yes, we should, it, we should be grateful and we yeah. should respond in kind. Yeah, and if you live in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense where you think you can lose your salvation, that's an extremely miserable life to live it as is. a believer. If you, if you think about it, God's standard is perfection. So if you think you're maintaining your salvation by your life, well, don't do this, but come on the program and out loud tell us every thought you had during the last week. Yeah, right. <laughs> are, are, are you proud of all of them? Do you think all of them the Holy Spirit endorses? I mean, you know better than that, right? If, yeah, if you right. think you're maintaining your salvation, your own thought life tells you that's not possible. Yeah, that's true. Because you know there's sin there someplace. Oh, yeah. Sin is always present. Unfortunately, it is. And until we get our new bodies, it's going to be with us. That's right. Okay. Okay. We have another question here. Um, What does it mean when someone uses the term the providence of God? The providence of God. So let's get uh, Acts 24, verse 1. The the term, the providence of God, is not a scriptural term. I realize it's a term that people use a lot, but it's Mm -hmm. actually not something you can find in the Bible. Look with me at Acts chapter 24, verse 1. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. Well, the providence that's being referred to there is the uh, providence of of a man, right? It's not referring to the, the providence of God. That verse there is the only time in Scripture that you find the word providence, and it's it's not talking about God, it's talking about man. Mm-hmm. And I point that out simply to say this, what happens a lot of times, uh, there's a lot of Christian jargon, there's a lot of terminology that people use, and sometimes 
the, the terms that are, are used just aren't in the Bible. And so one of the, the difficulties is that scripture doesn't define those terms and it may or, there may or may not be an agreed upon meaning as to what those terms mean. So my, my own suggestion, you can decide for yourself, is that as you're thinking about um, scriptural topics like the providence of God, as you're trying to think about how to think about that issue, the first difficulty that you face is what exactly does it mean? Mm-hmm. Because it is not a scripturally defined term. I personally like to avoid those sorts of issues because, you know, Paul talks about doting about questions and strifes of words. Well, you don't want to spend a bunch of time just trying to argue over the definition of what things are. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Whenever um, someone raises a, a term like the providence of God or something like that, what I try to do is I try to think about, is there a verse that speaks to this issue? Rather than mm-hmm. me, you know, give my opinion about something, is there a verse that answers the question? I think the most helpful verse is Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That verse doesn't say all things are good. When you live on a sin-cursed earth, not all things are going to be good. There's going to be flat tires in life. There's going to be illness and sickness and, you know, financial trouble and work trouble and interpersonal Mm -hmm. conflict. And, you know, there's just a lot of problems on the earth. Everyone knows that. Well, what that verse says is it doesn't say all things are good, but all things work together for good. What that means is this. As you face challenges in life, you're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties. Some of those are going to be painful. Some of those are going to be unpleasant. They may require you to be long-suffering. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. So, did Paul enjoy trouble? Well, look why. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. In other words, not all things will be good. Some things will be tribulation. But what does tribulation produce for a believer? Well, it worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. In other words, as a lost person, there will be troubles in your life, and hopefully those troubles lead you to get saved. Hopefully what those troubles do is they point you and they say, they teach you, you need a hope beyond this world, and that hope is in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. If you place your faith in the blood that he shed for you, he'll save you forever. But if you're lost, and your troubles don't result in you being saved, then they're just troubles. Mm -hmm. And you go through this life, and after this life, you have worse troubles, don't you? Because you have eternal troubles in the lake of fire. So you need to believe the gospel and be saved. Well, as a believer, it's different. As a believer, every single trouble in your life is something that is an opportunity for you to learn patience and then experience, and then hope. So all things work together for good for us 
even if the things aren't good. Put another way, God's grace is such that he can take the troubles of life and work them for our benefit. And so what we need to do is we need to be grateful people. And what we need to do is when we go through those, those trials and troubles, we need to not be complaining and whining and moaning about it. We need to have the mind of Christ in the midst of them. And we need to see how the troubles work for our good. And then let me, let me say one thing before I move on. You know, think about this. God took us who were sinners, who deserved eternity in the lake of fire. He gave us eternal life as a free gift and we'll be with him in heaven for eternity. Well, there's nothing on earth that's that bad that could outweigh that, right? Even if I went bankrupt, was put in prison and tortured and so on, it would end because this life doesn't last that long and I would still have eternity with Christ. Mm -hmm. So none of the troubles of this life, frankly, are worthy of being compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yeah, that's right. So much to look forward to. Amen. Yeah, that's true. Okay. We have another question here. Where does the word conviction derive from? How does a person know true conviction? How can a person decipher from conviction and preference? At Romans chapter 10. And so this question is a little bit like the question we just looked at in that conviction is not a Bible word. It's a word that people use a lot of times. And when they, when they use it, it, it seems to me they're using it to mean a deeply held belief. So something that you have a conviction about is something that you, you have a very strong belief in. Uh, but, it, but it doesn't happen to be a Bible word. Here's how to think about that according to the scriptures as best I can tell. Look at Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me give you a, a contrast. A lot of times you'll hear people say things like, God told us to build a new building and we don't have the funds for it in the bank and I don't know where we're gonna get the money, but we're gonna step out in faith and we're gonna trust God to provide. Now, when you, when you think about that, you know, one thing to, to think about is the Bible has a lot to say about debt. And so generally, it's not a good idea to sign contracts to buy things or build things that you don't have the money to pay for. It's a really bad idea. But people use the word faith by saying, you know, we've decided we're going to do this and we're, God is going to come up with the answer. Well, are, are you sure of that or are you just doing what you want to do? when there are verses that tell you not to do that. In my understanding, Romans 10, 17 tells you how faith really works. Faith is always based on the word of God. Faith is always based on a verse. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and they'll tell me something they believe and I'll say, why do you believe that? And the right answer is always, here's a verse that says it. And if there's not a verse that says it, it's not really faith. It's just something that you happen to want to do. Yeah. And so when I think about convictions, uh, my, my encouragement to you would be this. As you go through life, don't rely on common sense. 
Don't rely on conventional wisdom. Don't rely on what you heard a preacher say. But as you're thinking about the decisions of life, as you're thinking about what you believe, find a verse and believe the verse. Because then what you'll be doing is you'll actually be operating in faith because faith always originates in the word of God. If it doesn't originate in the word of God, it's not really faith. Very good. Yeah, David, uh, before we close out here, uh, could you uh, tell us the other Bible studies you have uh, on Thursdays and Sundays? Yeah, I appreciate that. So uh, Thursday, we will be at the Columbus Bible Church Facebook uh, page, and you're welcome to join us for that. It'll be a question and answer session, and hope you can join us there. And then we will have our normal uh, Sunday meetings. We'll be off for a couple of weeks, but then we'll be back on. Uh, and that's also on the Columbus Bible Church Facebook page. Uh, we, we really appreciate everyone that tunes in. And, and we, uh, we acknowledge that we sometimes have technical difficulties, but we just know, that, just know that we value you. And we will try to answer your questions the best we can. Yes, thanks for joining us tonight. And you're always in our prayers during the week. You can go to our Facebook and ask questions or message message us there. Um, and if there's any questions that were asked tonight, we will add them to our show and our program next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you much. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. 